Welcome to the Search the Scriptures podcast, where we dive into scripture and provide the explanation of it in the most accurate light that we can. Search the Scriptures is a podcast that is dedicated primarily to the Christian, challenging our brothers and sisters along with ourselves to see if we have set aside the commands of God to set up our own traditions. To do this, we use scripture to explain scripture. Please join us on this journey. All right, so Bible topics, Bible topic Tuesday. So we're going to jump right into this. We have uh, the question was, who is the rapture for? So we're talking about the rapture. So who is the rapture for? Is it before the tribulation or is it after? And so that's what we're jumping into before we do. Any questions or comments on this so far before we jump in? Alrighty, let's jump in this. So before I go forward to the first scripture, I want to say that, uh, so I actually did a, a study on this about, uh, uh, I don't know, some, been some years back. And so uh, I ain't gonna lie, I went back to that and there's a lot of stuff in there that, that uh, I just pulled from. It's actually on the website. And so, uh, and so that's where we're going to be pulling from a lot of those scriptures. And so again, we're talking about the rapture. And so I would think that majority of Christians I would say believing in, in some form of a rapture, whether it be uh, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, you know, all that stuff. I believe that most Christians believe that there's going to be a, a rapture, a being caught up into heaven. Uh, so, but I will say that even though this is a, a popular belief, it's the one that is talked about probably the most. Uh, it's probably one of the most talk, talked about subjects that we have. What you got, G? When you just said. Uh most be believers believe in, of course, in a pre or post uh, rapture. Um, are you, does it really matter what someone believes in terms of if it's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture or post-tribulation uh, rapture um, to what's basically the whole rapture about? Does it, does those two tie together or can you believe in one without the other one not being lined up? You can believe in them or not. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with salvation as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but it is, I mean, it's a good, it's a good question, but honestly, I don't think that the importance of it's, it's obviously something that we talk about a lot, but I don't think whether the person believes in it or when it happens or, it, you know, at the point that it happens, I don't think any has anything, any bearing on, on actual salvation. It just, mainly talking points and hope and we're going we're going to look into the, a lot of this also like i said it's a very popular thing though it is super popular but yes yeah, it's, it's a great question um but i'll say that because it is because it's such a popular um thing a subject to talk about i mean there's books written on it uh movies made about it i mean it's talked about a lot and uh and so people um start to look for this day when jesus is going to return and snatch away his believers uh and so we but we talk about it a lot a lot and what i what i'm getting to is we don't necessarily need reassurance of the virgin birth we just accept it we accept that the virgin conceived we we don't need a, uh, a reassurance of the divinity of jesus we believe jesus is the son of god we believe that and we don't need reassurance about a serpent deceiving eve we just accept it 
Did the serpent deceive thee? We just accept it. That's what it says. We accept it. And I believe it is because the spirit of God is in us that testifies to those things because those things actually happen. So he's testifying to those things. And because of that, we really don't, as, as, a, as a body of believers, really need reassurance in these things. But the rapture is something that continuously comes up, continuously preached on, continuously trying to comfort people with, with, with such a term. And so we're going to look into this and to find out why we would need this constant reassurance of a rapture. Questions or comments before I go forward on this one? All right. So remember I said that uh, though the virgin birth, uh, divinity of Jesus, uh, the serpent deceiving Eve, we don't need any uh, reassurance of that because the, the, the Holy Spirit testifies to us. And so we're going to look at that scripture that says just that. So if I go to Acts chapter 5, verse 32, it says, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This is why we believe what we believe, because the Holy Spirit is a witness of these things. So when we hear, talk about the creation, when we talk about any of these things that happen in the Bible, the reason we believe is because the Holy Spirit is testifying within us that he saw it and it happened. Questions or comments on this so far? All righty. So let's jump into what it says about the rapture. Okay, so Luke chapter 17 verses 34 through 36 says i tell you on that night two will be in one bed one will be taken and the other will be left two women will be grinding grain together one will be taken and the other left two will be in a field one will be taken and the other will be left so this right here is uh probably the basis of most of rapture uh, talk of the rapture because these people are being taken away and there's then there's people being left behind there's a whole series called left behind in movies very popular movies that were made after it left behind of the people that were left behind the people that were taken away were the righteous and the people that were left behind were those that, that didn't believe that's what the series of those books in the uh, movies were based on was based on this scripture and that's what they were saying in those movies and those books, the people that were left behind were the wicked. The people that were taken were the righteous. That's what those books say. But we're going to look and see what scripture actually says. Questions or comments on this so far? What you got, G? What was the question again? Was it um, who is left behind or who is left? Who is a rapture for? Yeah, so the, the question is, is the rapture for believers or unbelievers is what the way the question actually came in. Then when is going to happen, basically? At what point is it going to take place? So, yeah, so remember that this is what this scripture is saying and that the Left Behind series is basically based on this. And a lot of the rapture talk is based on, on this scripture right here. But as we go forward on here, we find out so I'm going to read the rest of this. So Luke chapter 17, verses 34 through 37. So we're going to expound this out a little bit. I'll read it again. It says, I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. 
two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Where, Lord, where, Lord, they asked him. He said to them, where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. So we don't have to guess. Uh, the, they actually asked. The disciples asked them plainly, where were they, where are they going to be taken to? And then Jesus says, where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Jesus is actually saying, plain as day, these people are going to die and vultures are going to be gathered together. He's actually quoting a scripture from the Old Testament. Before I get into that, any questions or comments on this so far? All right, it's going to be an easy night. So he's actually quoting from back in Ezekiel. So Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 17 through 20 says, Son of man, this is what the Lord God says. Tell every kind of bird and all the wild animals, assemble and come. Gather from all around to my sacrificial feast that I am slaughtering for you, a great feast on the mountains of Israel. You will eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the earth's princes, rams, lambs, male goats, and all the fattened bulls of Bashan. You will eat fat until you are satisfied and drink blood until you are drunk at my sacrificial feast that I have prepared for you. At my table, you will eat your fill of horses and riders, of mighty men and all the warriors. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So Jesus is quoting back to this. These animals and these birds are being called. These birds are being called together to feast upon these people. And, and, it, and, it's, and it runs a gamut. Uh, these mighty men. And uh, and they are they are being brought here for this slaughter that God has prepared for these birds to come and partake in. Questions or comments on this so far? All right, it doesn't just say it here. So if we go to Revelation chapter nineteen, verses seventeen through twenty-one. It says, then I saw an angel standing on the sun and he cried out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying high overhead, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of their riders and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together gathered together to wage war against a rider on the horse and against his army but the beast was taken prisoner and along with him the false prophet who had performed the signs in his presence he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image with these signs both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur the rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So now we see this in the future is taking place. Jesus says, when the disciples ask, where are they being taken to? This is the, this is what they're being taken to at this point. They're all, they're being brought all together for this particular time 
and it's for these birds to feast on their flesh. The people being taken away, this is where they're going. Questions or comments on this so far? And again, the question also had a question of timing, like when did this take place? Well, we can see here, we get a, get a little bit of an idea of it, that uh, this is at the end of the beast rule. The, the beast that had people taking on the mark of the beast and all this stuff, all this stuff has taken place. This is all the way at the end. At the end, the Lord shows up, and that's when this we're about to see this go down. And these people are gathered up and taken to this place, which it doesn't say gathered up here, but we're about to find it here in a second. And uh, and taken to this place for this feast that uh, for the birds. All right. Consider uh, moving on. So Revelation chapter 20 verses one through five says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for 1000 years. He threw him into the abyss, closed it and put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the people who had been beheaded because of their, tes their testimony about Jesus and because of God's word, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with the Messiah for 1000 years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So we have here that just right after. Now, this happens directly after that previous verse when we were talking about these this feast that was to happen for these birds. The feast was to happen for these birds. And then the uh, the the beasts were thrown into this uh, lake of fire. Right after that takes place. Then he says he sees this angel coming down. He bounds Satan and uh, and bounds him for a thousand years. So the thousand year millennial reign is about to take place. This rapture takes place, according to what I'm seeing here, directly before this millennial reign. What you got, G? Where it says, um, then I saw a throne and people sitting, sitting um, on them were given authority to judge. Then it follows up and says, and I also saw people who were beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God, uh, God's word. Um, are these two different groups of people? It does look like these are two different big, uh, groups of people. Uh, ben definitely did, ben did a study on this. And uh, what, what say you about this part, Ben, if you have anything to say on this? there, Yeah, it seems like there's two different. So I'm trying to remember. Um, yeah, the people that were given authority is a different group from the people that were beheaded. Right. I think I think the people that are given authority, you know, there some of that's handed at um, by Jesus Himself. You know, talking about um, the the uh, the twelve um, apostles will reign over and judge the nations and stuff like that. So I think it's that kind of thing. And like it's very specific, and it, it appears to be a very um, limited number of people that that encompasses. Does that makes sense. 
Amen. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Great explanation on that. So, yeah, I definitely, I feel that it's, it, these are definitely two different people. Uh, so, again, time frame wise, uh, these people were at this slaughter, give uh, this this feast for uh, for the for these these birds. They're at this slaughter directly after the very next chapter says, "Then I saw," and so we're looking into this stuff happening, and it, and the thousand year reign starts at this point. Thousand year reign starts. He's talking about the first resurrection. The first resurrection are these people who uh, who who were beheaded for the testimony of Jesus Christ. It says they came back to life and they're and they're and they're reigning at this point at the, within this thousand years. Great comments on that. Any other? Uh, what you got, Ben? And I was going to say that um, also, like these these beheaded people, they they came out of the tribulation, right? And so it. Um, you know, so that's a timeline thing too. Like the the bad time is already upon them at that point. Amen. Great point. Great point. In fact, I think we're going to have a couple of scriptures that say just that. I don't know at what point it comes up. Let's move forward. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 49 says, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and remove the wicked from among the righteous. So Matthew 13, 49, we're given the timeline at the end of the age. This is going to take place. The angels are going to come forth and remove the righteous from among the wicked. No, the wicked from among the righteous. The wicked are being snatched up. Questions or comments on this so far? All right. Let's get to the next one. So Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 through 15 says, Then one of the elders asked me, and this is what Ben was alluding to, Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people robed in white, and where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his sanctuary. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. So, as being alluded to earlier, these people, when he asks, who are these people that are robed in white? And he answers and says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They are dying in the tribulation. Like, they are coming out of it through death. So they're dying in this great tribulation and they're appearing before God immediately. They're appearing before God. He's sheltering them. He has them in his sanctuary and, and they are and they actually are before the throne of God during this time, during this tribulation, as it's happening. Questions or comments on this so far? All right. So oh, what you got, Ben? I was going to say something about that previous scripture that you had read, the Matthew 13 scripture. Uh, I was sitting there reading that, and it, it also gives um, before verse 49, um, it talks about the tares and the wheat. And in verse 40, it says, therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. 
the Son of Man will send his out his angels, and they will get, gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. So in this time, like his his kingdom is actively coming to earth, and so uh, I think I said a few weeks ago. So there's no point for all the believers to leave and go to heaven because at this time, like he's plucking up the evil from the earth and dealing with them. Uh, so that way he can reign on earth. Right. Amen. Then getting ahead of me. I love, I love it though. What you got G? Hey Ben, uh, if you don't mind, um, what would you consider, how would you break down or explain lawlessness? Uh, it says when you were just reading the scripture, uh, spoke about, separating the righteous from the lawless um what is your take on lawlessness well um anything that's not lawful <laughs> i guess is the easy answer but there's there's something to um there there's something to people that are able and i think we said this a few weeks ago too they're able to um to give themselves over to Jesus, right? Because part of this tears, uh, tears and wheat portion, and he said, I'm getting ahead of him. So he might go over this in a minute, but part of it is like the angels were asking, should we go down and do this? And Jesus basically tells them no, because um, in doing so you'll accidentally uproot some of the wheat. Right. And to me, I read that like um, something at face value, sometimes it's hard to, to differentiate the Christian from the world, right? And so there's, there's to me at least, it's, there seems to be something other than the lawless and those who practice the law. It's, it's something about being a child of God as well, you know. I know that says practice lawlessness, but um, that's my take on it. What you got, G? Okay. Um and if you don't want me basically paraphrasing, would you consider lawlessness knowing God's law and choosing not to abide by God's law? Like if God says do this and whatever X, Y, Z may be, like he says, thou should not murder or um, not to commit sexual immoralities. And then a person goes and do the and does those things. Is that operating in lawlessness, knowing God's law and not abiding by it? Um, I would say it's the practicing of lawlessness, you know, because uh, I, I, I certainly don't follow all the um, tenets of the law, nor do I know anybody that does. And so it, I, I can't say with a fine tooth comb that this is what this is, but it's those type of people that practice like that practice being that way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I'm glad you said that because none of us are perfect. And from what I just said, it can almost seem or sound like one has to be perfect. But something I feel like you just hit the hammer on the nail would be someone who um, makes a habit or a lifestyle, a continuation of now, you know, God's law, but you choose to continue in a manner in which is not correct. It's you know, the opposite of what God's law is, you're continuing to, uh, you know, operate in this way. I even talk to myself when I go, so when I'm speeding, I'm like, man, you're speeding, you need to slow down. And the more I do it, I'm like, am I operating in lawlessness? And I'm like, I am, I need to actually 
abide by what the law says. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, and uh, that, that's a good point. I remember uh, Alberto brought up uh, a really good point of of, of uh, lawlessness, and he says that the difference is uh, so, like in his essence, uh, uh, in sense of speeding. You know, you might speed and get a speeding ticket. Uh, you did break the law. You ma you made a mistake. He said, but you you did it, and that's and that's over with. He said, but then you have those who disregard the the speeding limit and just and just speeds. They don't care that there is a speed limit. They'll, those are for real lawbreakers. Great comments on this. Uh, what we got, G? It reminds me of the scripture that speaks on, um, yet they know the wage for sin is death. And I think that, you know, something you just said right there is uh, they know and they basically just have a disregard to what the speed is. Now I see it. There's a strong difference in between. Well, I, now I really understand the, um, what Ben was just saying in, your, in yourself. It's when you know and you just have a strong disregard for what it is. Um, now I think that's the strongest difference right there. Amen. And both are punishable, you know, uh, either by chastisement or whatever the case may be. They're both punishable. Uh, one is, uh, like I say, uh, you may, uh, you want to turn from it. You, you feel bad that you've done it. And another one is I don't care. That's just what I'm going to do. And, uh, and there, there is a difference in that. And uh, like I say, Alberto really illuminated that for me uh, uh, some months back. It was a really good, really good teacher. So uh, moving on to Matthew chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 16 says, for the kingdom, hold on one second. Uh, Fabian asks, is this lawless according to God's law or man-made laws? It's honestly uh, both. Uh, so it's, we're told in, in the Bible to obey the, the, the laws of the land. And, uh, and so if we don't obey the laws that, that uh, even man-made laws, then yes, we're practicing lawlessness. As long as those laws are not direct contradiction to, uh, to what the scripture says we're supposed to do. Even Jesus even even jesus when they came to him and uh and said they asked him about should he pay taxes uh uh basically do you guys pay taxes and uh he turned to peter i believe it's peter he says what do you say does the son of the kingdom have to pay taxes and he said no he says but so that we don't offend them go and fetch out this this fish and you'll be a, there'll be a coin in there use that to pay the taxes for all of us that's i think is the important part is that even though even jesus is saying that yes he is the son of god he's a, of a whole different kingdom that he doesn't pay taxes but so that i don't so that we don't offend them then do this what you got ben and paul did something i'm not similar but um he obeyed the laws of Rome. In fact, that's, you know, what got him an audience with the King to do this. He had to go to jail and he had to go through the process of it, but he did, he never, you know, even when the, the prison doors opened and he could have fled, uh, fled, he didn't do any of that because he was still making himself subject to the kingdom, you know? Amen. Great point and great question from Fabian. Uh, so Matthew chapter 20 verses one through 16 says for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. 
After agreeing with the workers on one denarii for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. To those men, he said, you also go to my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and at three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went, then, then about five, he went and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go to my vineyard, he told them. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarii. So when the first ones came, they, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarii each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day and the burning heat. He replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarii? Take what take what's yours and go. I want to give the, this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my business? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first last. Now, again, we're talking about the question is talking about the rapture. Who is rapture for? And, uh, and I bring this up because he spent a lot of time to 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 uh, explain this, not to explain this, but to give this parable talking about the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he goes on at the end saying that the last will be first and the first last. So he goes off to talk about payment and work. He says those who worked from the beginning in the middle, they worked. And and then those there's some that came at the very last hour, at the very, very end. And then they got paid also. They got paid the exact same amount. And, uh, and, and then he goes on to say, so the last will be first saying again, talking about pay. The pay came first to the people that came in last. So before I go to the next one, any questions or comments on this so far? What you got, Ben? I was like, I'm, a, I'm afraid um, that many Christians will be disappointed with this because I it, it's hard for me not to even think that, uh, you know, like I've, at this point I've lived most of my life as a Christian, although it doesn't seem that, that way all the time. But and so I there's something innately in me that thinks I'll be rewarded just on that fact alone. And so it's funny the way he says is like he paid those people that came in last. He paid those people first. So everybody else got to see what they're doing. And then so when it comes our time, it'll be like, oh, we're obviously going to get more. And then it doesn't happen. You know, so. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel I feel you can't help but feel that way. And he says it. He says just that. Like, yeah, that's how people going to be feeling. That's how people going to feel about it. <laughs> so it, it it just it makes sense it definitely makes sense uh but we have so i want to talk about the previous verse we were talking about we we're talking about these elders speaking about those who are clothed in white and they ask who are these people and these are people that died in this great tribulation they're coming out of this tri tribulation through death and they're and now they're standing before the throne they received a double honor right so they they did this not only are they standing before the Lord, before anybody else, they also reign. They'll get to reign with him for uh, for a thousand years. So they uh, uh, before before the dead, before the rest of us are brought back to life. Right. And judged. So they are and only they 
are the first resurrection. Just them. We already talked about this. Only they are the first resurrection. So all those who died before the tribulation, the righteous and the wicked will be raised in the second resurrection and judged according to our works. The works of those uh, of these, the works of these who died in this tribulation, they follow them in. Revelation 14, 13, which I don't have here, says just that. It says their works follow them. So they, they're, they're, there's no other judgment for them at this point. But I want to make, what I do want to say is that these people who are dying in the tribulation are absolutely the last of the believers. They're the last and they're getting paid first. Questions or comments on this? You know, I was going to say, you know, on this, this parable that we're looking at here um, in verse, the end of verse 15 is to me probably the scariest part. He says, or is your eye evil because I am good? So like what you're saying is, is right. Like what, what if at the revelation, I mean, at the uh, resurrection where we we're thinking this way and how close we will be to being judged harshly because we're jealous over those that went first, you know, and like, it's not an accident. He used the word evil here, you know? So it's just like, this is don't do not think this way, you know? Great point. And I definitely did not look at it that way. Great point. Yeah. So, uh, actually let's get, let's get to another one. I think this is the one that Ben also brought up too. So Matthew chapter 13 Verses 24 through 30 says, he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat and left. When the plant sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's slaves came to him and said, master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and gather them up? The slaves asked him. No, he said. When you gather up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let them bro let, let, let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. So he's telling me, these people this parable here. And uh, I want to, uh, before we continue on this explanation that's actually provided by Jesus, I do want to point out that the first action is to gather or rapture the weeds first, not, not the wheat. He says, first get the weeds. Uh, and also uh, notice that uh, this takes place at harvest time. This doesn't take place until harvest time is what he says here. And then he's going to explain to us what harvest, when harvest time is. And also, uh, he, then he goes on to say, take, uh, he says, uh, uh, store the wheat. The second action is a store the wheat in my barn. So I'm going to, I don't have it here, but first Thessalonians, uh, chapter four, verse 17, which says, then we'll all be caught up and then, uh, and meet with the Lord in the air. So that's where a lot of people also believe that's a rapture right there. We're being caught up with him in the air uh, to be with him forever. This is the righteous being caught up to meet with the Lord in the air as he is descending to execute judgment. We're all being gathered together. All of us are being gathered together for this judgment that's about to take place. Any questions or comments on this so far? 
All right. So we're going to look at what Jesus is actually going to uh, explain this. We don't have to wonder what this means. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 through 43 says, then he dismissed the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, explain the parable of the weeds in the field to us. He replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed. These are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy. I'm sorry. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears should listen. So Jesus goes on to explain this parable he's talking about. And what I do find interesting is, uh, for one, this is what I talked about before, that you're either sons of God or you're sons of the devil. It kind of plays out here that uh, that, that, uh, there, that we we have wheats and weeds, is what he says in this previous one. And we have the seed that is either wheat or is either weeds. They're not crossing one becoming the other. They're just who they are as they as they come up. And then he tells them, of course, to wait until the harvest time, which we're told here, the harvest is the end of the age. It's at the end. So we're, the question being is, and when did this take place? He's telling us it's at the end. When when this when these when the gathering when the rapture is to take place. Questions or comments on this so far? What you got, Bear? Two things. Uh, it also says uh, 41 that they will gather out of his kingdom, you know, so that, that has to be at the end as well because up until that time, uh, I think Scripture makes it pretty clear that it, it's still, like, this is still Satan's kingdom. But um, something I hadn't realized here, it said in verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. It said then, meaning after everybody everything else is burned then they'll shine forth you know and so that, that's just another instance of uh how close we can look to the enemy you know like 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 why did it why did it take for for all the wheat to be gathered and burned before the righteous shine forth you know and um so to me there's a lot of grace in that that scripture right there like we should have already been doing this but now that this happens they they for real will shine forth you know amen amen and the and and it just seems like there must be some type of similarity um like you were saying before about the 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 wheat and the weeds that at some point they kind of look similar and he says wait until harvest time so i guess at that point it becomes more evident of who of 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 what is what if that makes sense uh i just find that interesting that that's what that that's what it that did he saying this at the heart we're waiting until the harvest time harvest time ain't here but the harvest is coming great comments all right so i say all that to say um in fact let's just go into it matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 10 this is jesus speaking he says pray then like this our father 
in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think we realize that this prayer is talking about what's really going to happen. His kingdom is actually coming to earth. His kingdom is coming to earth. This is where he will be at. And then his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Questions or comments on this so far? All right. Following up on that. I'm sorry. What you got? Uh, who was that? That was G. I'm trying my best to get an understanding on why like so many opposite stories are created. Like if you think about the story of the rapture is for those who are saved and God is pulling them from this world because he doesn't want to see them go through the suffering uh, of the tribulation. Even if it's, I know, I know I've, I've heard illustrations on a pre-trib, mid-trib, uh, post-trib. Uh, and I, I'm so confused on why there are so many understandings and, um, and not this one right here. Like this one seems to be the one that's least, uh, you know, I guess discussed. Um, it's always God is going to pull the believers from this world so that we we're not put through the suffering. So um, I guess, you know, even if it's been you, what, why do you think that there's an understanding that God is going to actually do a pre um, pre rapture for believers so that that where does that come from? You answer that, Ben? Um. I think mainly because our father knows how to give us good gifts. And so we think that that um, means all the time and the, and good gifts, the way that we see them. Uh, that's the way I perceive it anyway. And so uh, if, if he knows how to get good gifts, why would he allow us to have to go through this? Um, but if you say that, or if you believe that, then um you know, there, there's something to people going through some kind of actual persecution. And um, I, I have not experienced that, right? And, you know, we're, we're supposed to take up our cross daily and follow him. And we're supposed to do all these hard things. Um, but somehow we think that that is not actually the truth. Like, he'll actually save us from all these hard things you know um when i got my i, I got a car wreck uh it's been almost two years ago now and um and I, I don't remember anything about it i just woke up on the side of the road and my truck was totaled and all that kind of stuff and i was telling a group of christians about it and uh they said you see the uh the devil was trying to attack you but um what actually happened you know god stepped in and saved you or whatever and i said well uh i don't think the devil was attacking me uh, i think god was trying to get my attention and then they started rebuke me and say, um, no, God doesn't do things like that. The devil does things like that. I said, well, here's what I know. I thought more about God the past two weeks than I have the past two years. And that, th that doesn't seem like something the devil would do, you know? And, uh, and so I, I don't know why we have this, this hard time of thinking that uh, God is protecting us from all the bad things, you know? Um, 
even the worst things come from him eventually. You know. Amen. That's a, that's that's actually a really great explanation. Uh, I think that um, um, even just even if you just read the New Testament, there's still quite a bit of shocking things in there. Uh, but Old Testament will definitely let you know the God that we say we serve, and He does those things. Uh, someone asked me, I'm not going to say who it was, but someone asked me earlier, who had it worse, Job or Jacob? And, uh, and I said, Job, he didn't do anything wrong, and he lost everything, including his children. And when he did, it was God who did it. It, it wasn't some... It, the 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 devil, when the devil came, God suggested it. And not only that, when the devil returned after the first round, God said it. He said, he says, even though you incited me to uh, to harm him uh, without just cause. And so, uh, and I don't think people realize that this is the God of the Bible. Whether it's the God you serve or not, this is the God of the Bible. And he, this is how he treats his people. And it is, and and no one can say, "Well, I know exactly why he does this." No, you don't. Like literally, this his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. All we have is what he's explained to us. That's it. And so I think that's what it is: is that people put themselves in the place of God and say, "Well, you know, uh, of course God wouldn't do that because I wouldn't do that." There's a lot of stuff that God does that you absolutely wouldn't do. And and I think because of that, and and the, and the strong lack of really going into the Old Testament. I think gives people a false outlook of who God is. I'm not saying that I got it all the way accurate, but uh, it's it's definitely humbled me uh, more so than I was prior to the, to uh, to reading all this stuff. That uh, realizing that this is who He is. That it this is not it is not the devil that you should be worried about. It is it is Him. In fact, Jesus tells us, "I tell you, the one that you're supposed to fear. This is the one you should dread." What you got, Ben? Yeah, I mean, if if he treats his own son the way that he treated him. Um, what what do we what should we really expect? You know. Amen. We we expect that we won't have to because Jesus did it. But yet Jesus tells us, "Pick up your cross and follow me." And I think that that's the part that we miss is that he says, "No, you 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 come in and join in with this family." And there are great things that are to come for people who do that in the next world. There are some great things that, I mean, it's, it's unfathomable. Like we can't, we can't even, it's a no eye has seen. We don't, we can't even, we can't even envision it. We can't, I mean, but that's what's to come. But that faith is probably going to get tested. Man. What you yeah, got, I, G? I think that, oh, I'm sorry. I think I told the my Sunday school class uh, the last time I taught them, I said, you know, I said, uh, being beheaded um, at the end times like that, being beheaded, um, the how do I say it? The kingdom is worth being beheaded, you know. And so we don't we don't think that like going through all these things will just like we just get to spend time with him or something. No, it's actually worth the cost of getting there, whatever that cost is. Amen. I think it. I see you, bro. And I, I think that people uh, kind of downplay when Jesus says, uh, "If your arm." Uh, if your hand uh, 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 offends you or causes you to sin, it's better to chop it off. It's better to gouge your eye out. It's better to enter life maimed than to go into hell fully, you know, uh, fully intact into hell. 
uh, I, I think we downplay that and just, you know, and not realize that this is how serious Jesus is about this. And, and just as Ben said, it's worth it. It's worth getting beheaded to get in there. Do we truly feel that way? Um, just very recently, this is going to sound very strange. Very, just very recently, there were some there were some people over in, in Africa that died because their pastor told them that they should um, they should uh, that they should fast until they die, starve themselves to death to see Jesus, right? And that was wrong for the pastor to do. That was wrong for the pastor to do. But my wife said, and I was I was thinking that I didn't say it. But my wife said uh, said to me today, she said it is something to be said about their faith that uh, that they went all the way into death believing that they're going to get to see Jesus. Now again, they were they were they were uh, deceived in the way that they went about it. But there's something to say about their faith that they didn't turn away from that. What you got, Veronica? I just, I mean, amen to all of it from Ben starting to with that whole, um, you know, God getting your attention. I once heard that when they said uh, God's trying to get your attention and he doesn't try, he'll get it. <laughs> so I, I love that. Absolutely. That's how I see things all the time. I kind of question it and, you know, in prayer and ask the Lord, what is it that you're showing me, telling me, teaching me? You know, I, I love that. I also had a. And I, I agree with all of y'all the way y'all were saying that, you know, we, we think that, or many think that, you know, it's a devil, it's the enemy. And I, I often, I just told my friend this, this week, you know, it's, it's either the the Lord allowing it or ordaining it. So, you know, it's, it, it's nothing goes through him or past him. But I had a question on uh, heaven and the new earth. Is it basically like two different dimensions of God's creation? I mean, they're two different places, right? Heaven and the new earth, or is the new earth heaven? No, right? Uh, so that's a, that's actually a good question. So, uh, the from what I understand, and Ben, you can jump in on this and correct me. From, from what I understand, heaven, the heavens, heaven or the heavens, and earth are absolutely going to melt. They're going to be on fire, like they're going to be judged. And they will pass away, and there's going to be a new creation. So, uh, the heavens, stars, moon, everything is going to going to burn up, all of it, and including the earth. And then there's going to be a new earth, and then new heavens. So we don't even know what, you know, it may be like we have five moons or something. I don't know. It like literally, it's a new heavens, heaven or heavens. Yeah, and no sea, huh? <laughs> and no sea, yeah. Yeah, strange. I don't know what he has against it, but there will not be a C. Ben, you have anything to add on that? That's where the monsters live. He got a point. <laughs> he got a point. Yeah, some great comments on this. So yeah, uh, so yeah, this prayer that that uh that that most people know. Uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think we realize that the whole entire time we've been saying this prayer, it's literally saying that, talking about his kingdom coming down to earth. And so, uh, again, we're talking about the rapture, who is for and everything. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus is saying this, that the humble are blessed because their inheritance is is not heaven 
Their inheritance is the earth. This is, we were never meant, as far as I can tell, we were never meant to leave the earth. Uh, the earth is our inheritance. It's just like he says right here. It is our inheritance. So in the same, it's just as in like the Old Testament. The Old Testament, Israel could not inha inhabit the promised land until uh, the wicked people who occupied it were removed. So we await the removal or rapture of the wicked so that we can enjoy our inheritance. Questions are coming. Oh, what you got, Ben? I was going to say, you know, not too long ago, I did a, um, a study on um, Elijah. And when, and I think the Jews got this right, when Elijah was going up to heaven, no one was envious of him. Like nobody, nobody thought that this was a good thing. You know, everybody knew that he was about to go face to face with the living God and nobody wanted to take his spot for that. You know, like they were, they were concerned and worried about him genuinely. And so, um, you know, I, I, I don't know at what point in Christianity we thought that um, this is necessarily a good thing um, that we all ought to strive to. But in my estimation, that's not the truth. You know, um, that's, you know, his, his throne and his home is where holiness resides. And I'm nothing like that, you know, so. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Anybody else got anything on this? I, I love this. And I think um, it blows my mind. I wish we could have like a part two. <laughs> you know, I actually had quite a bit of scripture that I, that I actually left out. But uh, and that's what I was thinking, like, ah, it's so much, like, you know, but I love this stuff. I love this stuff. And uh, what you got, G? No, don't hold out now. You you going, you got us on here now. You're going to have to say it. Okay. So, we, again, I'm going to go ahead and move on to this. I don't have it up here. But the question was, who is the rapture for? Is it before the tribulation or is it after? So, I'm going to pull up some. I'm not going to have it here on screen, but I'm just going to read some of them. You guys can. Uh, write it down as I'm as I'm saying it if you if you want. Uh, so hold on a second. Who's that? Oh, what you got, Veronica? I'm not right. That was uh, Ben. I'm sorry. Uh, before before you get into this next part, so um, I you so like we've been saying you know rapture all this time, and um and so I was looking it up, and I I know the, the actual definition is to be caught up, but every like I've this past hour or so. I've went to a bunch of different Christian sites and all of them have redefined it. If you want to use that word as um, the, the calling in the air of Christians, you know? And so um, I think, I, I don't know what, I, what I think about that, you know, because like we've been talking like, well, he's going to, he's going to snatch these people away and we think it's us. And is that, it actually turns out to be um, the evil people, but, there there is a, a point where we do rapture according to all the way all these christian sites define it we do go and meet him in there because the scripture says that but we come right back down to earth you know and so um there, there seems to be some discrepancy like if you ever talk to anybody about like that actually does happen but he doesn't he doesn't rapture us into heaven to live there forever does that make sense 
Amen. Amen. So since I was called out on these scriptures, I go over. I'm just going to read them through. Uh, so Psalms. Actually, we started Revelation chapter 14, verses 11 through 12. And it says, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or anyone who receives the mark of his name. This demands the perseverance of the saints who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. Tells us this demands the perseverance of the saints. We're going through this. Our loved ones, our brothers and sisters are going to have to go through this. Not some people that were left behind. They're going through this, through this, uh, through this tribulation here, and those are the ones that are coming out of it. Uh, what you got, G? What scripture was that again? That is Revelation chapter fourteen, verses eleven through twelve. Psalms chapter thirty-seven, verses nine through eleven says, "For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land." In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. That's Psalms. Again, notice that the wicked are being taken away and the meek or the humble are inheriting the land or the earth. Job chapter 38 verses 12 through 13 says, Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or sign the dawn its place so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it this is the lord talking to job and he's asking him this and he says that the earth is going to be shaken and shaken is going to be done in this way to shake the wicked out of it again wicked being taken away from the earth not not staying on it proverbs chapter 10 verse 30 the righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not remain on the earth. Again, the wicked disappearing. They're gone. They're, they're, they're being taken away. Psalms chapter 37, verse 29 says, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it permanently. This, our, this is our inheritance. Again, Psalms chapter 52 verse 5 says but god will break you down forever he will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living again the ones getting snatched up is the wicked the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.